What's up and welcome back to another episode of the Legendary Life Podcast. It's health and fitness expert Ted Rice and I am here to help you transform your health, your body and your life with this show. I want to take a moment to say thanks to everyone who's been showing up to the webinar. A lot of people have already signed up to Legendary Lean. Can't wait to work with you. Now it's going to be starting this week on Wednesday. So if you want to get into the program, take action now. Spots are limited because it's a coaching program. That means I've got to reach out to you and and talk to you. And if there's too many people in the group, that's going to be a little bit much for me to handle. So this isn't an info product that you buy and do on your own. We have communication. We have a, a, you'll be on our app getting our workouts getting your nutrition plan. You'll be receiving coaching videos. We'll be doing live Q&As. So if you want in on that, make sure you take action now. Also, we've been getting a lot of great feedback from the Fat Loss Masterclass webinar. Make sure you sign up to that at legendarylightpodcast.com slash free. I know I was going to go into the second myth because I, I got into the first one last week and I said, hey, I'm going to knock the second, third, and fourth out. Unfortunately, we've had, we, that was a bit ambitious on my end. And we're coming out with this episode today, but it's going to take a while to get out those, their, their long involved, well researched pieces of content. And I'm not going to just throw them up there. But if you want to go over the fat loss miss, it's all in our, Fat Loss Masterclass, which you can view for free. And also, I give you the strategies, my top strategies to get in shape to lose fat. So again, legendarylightpodcast.com slash free. And now let's get to today's episode. And it's I'm calling it Why Being Fat Isn't Your Fault. And it should be entitled Why Being Fat Isn't Completely Your Fault, because of course, you've had a hand in it if you're overweight or obese. But it's a little more complicated than that. So let's get into it. Right now, one-third of the world's population is overweight with the U.S. leading the way. Yay, we're number one. In fact, two in three Americans are either overweight or obese. And it's been climbing up since 1980. It's been a a slow climb. And then in 1980, it really took off and it's spiking. And numerous reasons have been proposed to explain why this is happening, why we're getting overweight and uh, putting on so much fat at such high rates. And some of the, the reasons include eating too many calories. I've talked about that a bit. Sedentary lifestyles, I've talked about that too. Laziness, too many carbs, moral failings, sugar, endocrine disrupting toxins in the environment because fat loss is all about hormones, right? And that was sarcasm in case you haven't been listening to the show. And although these reasons may explain the mechanism, none of them offer a big picture perspective of why we see these trends and why do we see them happen at much higher rates in modernized societies. And the conclusion there is modern life makes you fat. 
For the majority of human history, we've lived like hunter-gatherers, and it's been well-established that as people move from natural living cultures to modernized lifestyles, the rates of common Western diseases start to increase, including obesity and weight gain. We don't even have to go back to Paleolithic times to envision how much life has changed here in the U.S. In 1890, over two-thirds of the workers had manual labor jobs, and nearly half of them were farmers. And more importantly than that, there wasn't the easy access to food like we have now. There weren't any 7-Elevens fully stocked with high-calorie junk food, Twinkies and Oreos and potato chips. There weren't vending machines full of processed treats for $1.25. There was no Uber Eats delivery surface with hundreds of restaurants to choose from and delivery right to your home. Getting and preparing our food took hard work and life itself was exercise. Fast forward to today where most of us sit for most of our day and our biggest workout if we're not hitting the gym or going running, if we don't regularly work out, this isn't for you, but because I know you probably exercise if you listen to this show. But for the people who don't, think about this. Brushing their teeth and washing their armpits in other areas, that's the most amount of exercise they get for the day. Other than that, they're sitting on their butt. They're sitting on their butt on the way to work. They sit on their butt at work. They sit on their butt on the way, on the drive back home. Then they come back to their home, sit on the couch because they had such an exhausting day at work. And while they may be mentally exhausted, their muscles are completely unused. On top of that, many of us don't cook our meals anymore. In fact, a recent study out of the Harvard Business School shows that 90% of uh, Americans hate cooking. And by the way, microwaving doesn't count. We also have stashes of calorie-laden food like pretzels, cookies, and crackers within the reach of our desks and on our counters in our kitchens. So let's talk a little bit about why we have such a hard time controlling ourselves. If nutrition is the answer for fat loss, why is it that diets fail so often? And why is it that we have such a hard time avoiding the foods that we know we have a tendency to overeat? Before I answer that question for you, I want to do a little thought experiment. I want you to think right now about a glass of milk. And I want you to pay attention as you start to visualize it. And don't close your eyes if you're driving or if you're bench pressing a lot of weight, or, well, if you're running, don't do that either. You could run into someone or into the road. But I want you to visualize a glass of milk, and I want you to pay attention to how you feel as you start to think about it or visualize it. And I want you to rate your hunger or your desire or your craving for that glass of milk on a scale of 1 to 10, and just keep it in mind. Got it? Now, I want you to think of ice cream. In fact, I want you to think of your favorite flavor of ice cream or favorite ice cream treat. And now I want you to rate your hunger, your desire, your craving on a scale 1 to 10 
for that ice cream. Did the glass of milk, was it different for you thinking about it? Was there any difference at all? And just in case you're a person who doesn't go for the sweet stuff, let's take potatoes for another example. So I want you to think right now of boiled potatoes. So skinned boiled potatoes. And pay attention to how you feel as you think about it and rate your hunger, your desire, your craving on a scale of one to 10 and just keep it in mind. Now I want you to think about either French fries, if you're a French fry person, or potato chips, if you're a potato chip person. And I want you to pay attention to how you feel about those fries or those chips. And I want you to rate your hunger, desire, craving, whatever you want to call it, on a scale of one to 10 and write it down. So how'd you feel thinking about the French fries? How did you how did your comparisons go? Did you notice anything different? And if you go to this blog post, you'll actually see pictures. I put up pictures of these foods and it's a, a visual experience, but I'm doing my best to get you to visualize it. So it may be a little bit more powerful to actually see the photos because I picked some, some good photos here. But go back to that visualization. What made you hungrier? The glass of milk or the ice cream? Or the boiled potatoes or the fries or chips. It felt different, didn't it? Especially if you have strong, if you really like those foods. And maybe those aren't foods that you typically crave or you go after. Maybe it's pizza. But I want you to think about that. We could have used, you know, like uh, hot wheat cereal or a, a slice of bread, like wheat bread versus pizza. And there will be something where you say, wow, I really want that thing. And the other thing, mm, I'm just okay. And it feels different. In fact, if you have a strong connection with that particular food, if that food is a food that does it for you, you may even had your mouth water a little bit. Maybe you even started to crave the fries or the ice cream or the pizza. And if it happened to you, if you had a little craving there, if you started to go, mm, yeah, you know what, a, a pizza or a burger or whatever would be good right about now, well, take comfort in the fact that you're not alone. In fact, while I was putting together the photos for this blog post, and uh, especially with the ice cream, I could almost taste the creamy, frozen, sweet texture of it. In fact, I felt the urge to go to the Italian gelato place near my house and get some. And that's what a food craving is. A food craving is scientifically defined as a state of heightened eating motivation that is directed at a specific food. So I'm going to say that one more time. A state of heightened eating motivation. You are motivated to get a specific food. And food cravings are different than hunger. Hunger isn't specific. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to eat. I haven't eaten in a while. So you need some food, but you don't need Joe Stone Crab's frozen key lime pie, which is what I'm actually thinking about right now or what I was thinking about when I wrote this. And I put up an amazing picture. I know I keep talking about it. It's just incredible. 
Why is it, though, that we crave these processed, calorie-rich foods over the plain ones? Why don't we crave kale and broccoli or chicken breast with no skin on it? Who decided that ice cream and french fries and pizza and Joe Stone Crab's key lime pie were so delicious? And the answer is, it ain't you. It ain't you. It's your brain. You are wired to eat. And you need food to survive and thrive. In fact, without food, you will starve and you will eventually die. And if you want to see some incredibly heartbreaking photos, which I don't suggest if this is a hard time of year for you, or uh, but look up starvation and then click on the images and you will see what it looks like to starve. And I want you to keep that in mind as you think about the problems that you have with cravings, with being overweight. It's a luxury problem. It still is a problem, by the way. I mean, obesity and having too much fat, it causes excess inflammation. It's implicated in heart disease, cancer, diabetes. It can cause sleep apnea. It's not good. But just to keep it in perspective. So back to your brain. What is your brain's number one job? Well, it's to keep you alive. Are you with me so far on this? And another important thing to consider is that it takes energy to get food. And no, I'm not talking about mustering up the motivation to get off your couch and find something in the refrigerator. I'm talking about hunting and foraging, the things that human beings, all human beings had to do before agriculture was invented. In fact, natural living cultures like the Hadza in Africa and the Simane in Bolivia, they still get their food this way. So it isn't even a thing that was from the past and long ago. There's still groups of people who get their food this way. And the issue with hunting and gathering is that it can take a lot of energy to do. And if you spend more energy than you get from your hunt, then you're in trouble. And that's why all animals, including us, are wired to have what's called an optimal foraging strategy. And that probably sounds kind of weird, right? Like very scientific. Simply put, Optimal foraging strategy is about getting as many calories out of the environment while doing the least amount of work. Sound familiar? Kind of like what everyone does, right? We go for the the calorie-rich, hyper-palatable foods like pizza, like ice cream, like cookies, like crackers, like you know, bread and butter, like all these, these tasty combinations of foods that are very high in calories. And we don't really like to exercise that much. I mean, some of us do, but not really. I mean, we're not. Even the person who's really hardcore about exercising, they don't exercise that much. In other words, nobody's exercising eight hours a day. Nobody is going on a three-day hunt like the Hadza do, chasing down an antelope, right? Tracking it and living out in the wilderness or the jungle and going through that that hardship to get food. You're not doing that. 
you may think, oh, no, I love to work out. Uh, you, you hit the gym a couple times a week. I do that too. And still, some of us have way too much body fat, even though we're working out all the time. And as I've been saying for years now, we're all inherently lazy. Why? Because it helped us survive. It's nothing wrong with you. And you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with food cravings, Ted? I'm a, I'm a little lost. Just in case you are, I'm going to bring it back. Your brain is smart, like keep the species alive smart. So it has a system that it uses to determine the energy worth of food. It's worth the energy to hunt a good size antelope, like I talked about earlier, for three days because you'll get enough food to feed the whole tribe for days. But what if early humans spent three days searching for a handful of berries that wouldn't even feed one person for one meal? The human race would have died out long ago. In fact, if there were any humans or you know human ancestors that did that, they're not around anymore. So when you eat food, it goes into your stomach and eventually makes its way to your small intestine. That's basic digestion. However, once we've started to figure out that once the food is there, your small intestine has receptors that tell your brain about the specific amounts of food that you've eaten, specific amounts of protein, fat, carbohydrates, and salt, among other things. And once that signal gets to your brain, it activates a part of your brain called the ventral tegmental area. Now, don't worry, there's not going to be any test at the end of this podcast, but I want to tell you the real deal behind this. So this ventral tegmental area is one of the key dopamine producing areas in the brain, and it connects with other key brain areas too. Particularly important is the connection between the ventral tegmental area and the ventral striatum. Now, the ventral striatum is intimately involved in producing motivational states, including cravings. So whether it's sex, drugs, gambling, or Joe Stone Crab's key lime pie, this part of your brain is always involved in that process. And in case I've lost you, you may still be wondering, what's this got to do with food cravings? Well, as we talked about above, once that signal from your gut to your brain is received, your ventral tegmental area releases dopamine. And here's the important part. Food that is super tasty, aka hyperpalatable in the scientific literature, causes more dopamine to be released in your brain than other types of foods. This is what causes the cravings. This is what causes that intense feeling, that feeling like, oh, I just got to, I just said I'd only have a little bit of ice cream or a little bit of Oreo cookies and now I'm just going crazy. I thought I was going to only eat that one slice of pizza, but now I've eaten the whole entire pie. And this release of dopamine, it starts to happen actually before you even eat. It starts if you see food or if you smell it. Have you ever smelled like, pizza cooking or something else that's just incredible. Maybe it's pie for you. I don't know. But your mouth starts to water. You're like, mm, mm, mm. 
that's dopamine in part being released. And when you start eating that thing, whatever it is that does it for you, there's this mechanism that causes even more dopamine to be released. So if you're eating the ice cream, you're going to be more motivated to eat more ice cream while you're eating it. That's why it's hard to, that's why I only buy pints at a time because I eat the entire thing. And if you're eating pizza, you're going to be more motivated to eat pizza. That's why the entire pie disappears. In other words, it leads to that type of behavior that Lay's potato chips figured out. And that's why they came up with the bet you can't eat just one. Our story isn't done, though, because there's another important part to consider. The second thing that happens when dopamine spikes high after eating some junky goodness, it, this thing I'm about to talk about is even more important. Because if it was just that one-time issue where, oh, yeah, well, I started eating this pizza and it was so amazing that I just kept eating and I ate the whole entire thing. But it hasn't happened in a long time, you know? It doesn't ever happen unless I, right? It, it doesn't happen. It only happens that time when you start eating. But it doesn't. Why? Because you learn. Your brain learns. You learn that certain foods are more rewarding to eat than others. So next time you see or smell those foods that you find irresistible, your mouth will start watering, your dopamine will start spiking, and in plain English, you'll experience a craving. And because you have this learn thing going on, in fact, the learning is so deep, you'll think about your brain takes note of all the environmental cues. In fact, you may have heard of Pavlov's dog, and I'll just go over that real briefly. So Pavlov noticed that dogs, when they see food, they go crazy. In fact, if you got dogs, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They go crazy for the food. Dogs don't care about a ringing of a bell, right? You ring the bell, it doesn't mean anything to them. However, what Pavlov figured out is that when he would serve the food and ring a bell at the same time to kind of let the dogs know, hey, food is coming, the dogs learned. And they learned to the point that they would start salivating whenever he rang the bell, regardless if there was food there or not. And unfortunately, this is kind of how it happens with human beings. Of course, I'm no neuroscientist or psychologist, but from what I've read, what I've uh, uh, you know looked at, what I've studied, this is exactly how it happens. And while this may sound pretty brutal, if you're one of the many people who struggle to control what they eat, especially when stress, sleep deprivation, or unhappiness triggers you to eat the foods that you're trying to avoid, there is one thing I want you to keep in mind. You are the result of billions of years of evolution, the successful result of billions of years of evolution. And if you don't believe in evolution, if you believe in, hey, you know, God created the earth and it's only a couple thousand years, then you are the successful creation of God. And your ancestors have been around for a couple thousand years, right? A few thousand years, whatever it is. That means they all had to survive for you to be here. 
And I think we lose track of that when we feel like total losers because we're like, oh God, why can't I just get this under control? Why can't I stop myself from eating the foods that I, I, I know I shouldn't be eating too much of? And why can't I get myself into the gym? Keep that in mind. You are successful in the fact that you are perfectly designed. However, you're perfectly designed to survive and thrive in a world that we don't really inhabit anymore because you're not fighting off the saber-toothed tigers, are you? You aren't hunting an antelope for three days, tracking it day and night and getting sleep when you can and you know, trying to avoid predators as well. You're not doing that, are you? We don't live in that world. The thing is, we all have the same basic wiring. The difference between us and hunter-gatherers is that we also have tremendous access to these super tasty, hyper-palatable, calorie-dense foods. And we're all struggling with this today. We're all struggling with this. Not Maybe not every single person, but most of us are. In fact, why do you think this is happening in the modernized world? In fact, when you start to modernize a culture and they start to get the KFC and the, the Pizza Hut and all the other access to foods and specific types of foods, the same thing starts happening. Whether you're in America, whether you're in the UK, whether you're in Japan, whether you're in, you know, it doesn't matter where, whether you're in China, the same thing's starting to happen in all areas where uh, in, in developed or modern, fully modernized areas. And even me, I've been overweight myself. Okay. In fact, it's kind of weird that I haven't talked about it much until recently, but I found a picture of myself and it's been going around the internet, Fat Ted, uh, where I was muscle fat. You know, I, I was in the maybe 23, 22, 23% body fat. So not good. Not good for now. Maybe that's you and you're not in the fitness business, but guess what? I'm in the fitness business. Yeah, it's like a dentist with busted up teeth or a hairstylist with messed up hair or a cardiovascular surgeon who smokes, right? Or cardiologist who smokes. So what I'm telling you is don't beat yourself up about it. There isn't anything wrong with you. In fact, what's wrong is this mismatch between our genes and our environment. So what I tell people is being fat isn't your fault, at least not completely, right? The thing is, it is your responsibility. And there's this trend in the fitness industry that's been going on for a little while to tell people that, hey, it's your fault you're fat and you are failing. You you're, you're having a moral failing right now because you're messing up. Your health is suffering. Your kid's health is suffering. And you're on your way to a heart attack or diabetes or getting your toes cut off because of the diabetes, you're on your way to something horrible. You're on your way to cancer. And the thing is, if you're in that position, you know that already, don't you? It's such an ignorant thing to say, especially with what we know about our genes, our brains hardwiring to seek out food for survival 
and the industrialization of the food system. But like I said, it's your responsibility to do something about it. And our environment is so powerful, in fact, that the most effective solution to your weight issue and your cravings that caused it would be to move to some hunter-gatherer society and live there in, in Africa with the Hadza or in Bolivia with the Samane. The problem is most of us can't do that or we won't do that. And if that's your case, if you're not willing to completely change your where you live and your whole entire lifestyle, then you're going to have to find a way to make modern life work for you. And in the next episode, I'm going to be talking about specific strategies to to do that. Um, Things that I've talked about before, but I'm going to put it in this perspective. So stay tuned for that. However, if you just want to come and learn all the strategies that you can take advantage of right now, especially if you're already exercising and trying to eat well and you're getting results, but you're just not able to quite get the results that you want, then sign up to Legendary Lean. You can go to legendarylifepodcast.com slash coaching or go to our website and click on the coaching tab and sign up for it there. And of course, you can listen to our uh, fat loss masterclass. You can sign up to that at legendarylifepodcast.com slash free. So that does it for today. And if this episode made a difference for you, please take the time to share it. It's the greatest compliment you can do for me. Share it for someone who also needs to hear this message because they're not getting the right message. They're getting that, oh, you need to do this. You need to starve yourself. You, you, you need to stop being a loser. You need to stop whatever. Make sure you share it with people who need to hear this information. And this, if this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you click subscribe wherever you listen to it, iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on so that you get every episode as it goes live. So stay tuned for the next episode when I'll go over strategies to rein in our out-of-control craving brains. That does it for today. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll speak to you soon. 